Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Do you enjoy hearing the tech news delivered by smart, informed people? Me too. Learn more about how you can support this show at dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. Tom Merritt is on vacation, but from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. Well, Lake City, for the best I can. This is awesome. Scott, uh, how the heck are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I miss Tom, though. Don't you miss Tom a little bit? I kind of miss Tom. I miss Tom a lot. It's not easy filling the shoes of Mr. Tom Merritt. No. But, uh, but thankfully, you know, we have a really good DTNS group um, with, with all of you and our community as well. And also, producer Roger Chang, without whom I would die. Roger? Hello. How's it going over on the it's east side been, of LA? <laughs> it's it's good. I actually have to say it's warmed up a little bit. A little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. Yeah, you know, we Roger and I were talking before the show. It's been uh cold-ish for this time of year in LA, but hey, you know, don't have to run your uh AC. So how about that? All right, let's get into a few tech things you should know. This is the patent war that will never end. Apple wants $1 billion from Samsung in damages from a very long-running patent infringement dispute where Samsung has already been found to have infringed on three of Apple's smartphone design patents and two utility patents. In a retrial to determine what Samsung actually owes Apple, Samsung asked jurors to decrease that amount to $28 million. Quite a decrease. That's a lot lower than $1 billion, but good luck mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is giving developers more time to adjust to its new API platform, Account Activity. After developers said the original API set to be uh, deprecated on June 19th would force them to stop their services. This bummed out a whole lot of people and a whole lot of users. The new data for those deprecated APIs, or the new date rather, is Wednesday, August 16th, 2018. It's not really that much more time. You're getting like an extra couple of months. So Tweetbot, Twitterific, all you guys, is that enough for you? Is it... Yeah, I mean, we talked the other day about Favestar saying we just won't continue our business. We don't have any idea what Twitter's doing right now, but I don't use Favestar regularly. I do use Tweetbot, and I would like it to continue. Yep. 
The Trump administration has eliminated the White House's cyber coordinator role that was created during the Obama presidency. According to an email sent to National Security Council staffers Tuesday and obtained by Politico, this is in an effort to streamline authority. The cyber coordinator led a team that worked with agencies to unify strategies on election security and digital deterrence. Hmm. You know what? I'll just say this about that real fast. It seems like an important job, but maybe we don't know a lot about what they were doing. So um, I don't know. I'd like to know what this administration's plans are for cybersecurity, generally speaking. And if they can consolidate and have other people do it, great. But I'd love to know what that strategy is because I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, in corporate culture all the time, there are certain roles that are introduced and sometimes we're like, eh, actually didn't need that. The rest of us can just do it on our own. So Uh, hard to say, but that's the news. Let's talk a little bit more about investigations into Facebook. A Guardian investigation in conjunction with the Danish Broadcasting Corporation reports that Facebook allows advertisers to target users if if it thinks they're interested in subjects such as sexual preference, Islam, liberalism, among others. Now, this is important because religion and sexuality and political beliefs explicitly are marked as sensitive information under new data protection laws. GDPR going into effect on May 25th, so we're, what, just a little bit over a week out. Sensitive categories now require special conditions around how they can be collected and processed. Some of those include preventative or occupational medicine, or to protect the vital interest of the data subject, or if the data subject has given explicit consent. So the fact that this is happening now doesn't necessarily mean that Facebook is doing anything wrong, but sounds like they're going to have to figure out their policies pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, this is just another example of, in this case, the Danish Broadcasting Corporation, uh, they're the ones telling us about it, but this is just another case of other standards changing and those standards changing will tell Facebook what's cool or what isn't. I'm sure Facebook will comply. They're in a position right now. If they don't, they look real bad and it's going to hurt them more than it has, although their stock's way up. So I don't know if anything's really hurting them, but, um, but this doesn't surprise me. I mean, this is what's going to happen. Different countries are going to make different laws and they're going to get real serious about what privacy means. And these services are at the center of that whole conversation. Then those services, Facebook and others have to figure out how they're going to react to that. In some cases that may hurt their bottom line because the data they need to share or give will no longer be collectible or they'll have to have explicit permission from the user. I think that is all part of the evolution of this and 100% fine. And in the end, probably better for all of us uh, that Facebook is sort of forced to be a little more fluid with this and not call the shots and, and, and let people, municipalities, governments uh, make those decisions, not Facebook. Yeah, I mean, as we report on this pretty much every day, it seems, um, it can be pretty convoluted. But I feel like, in general, having more information, whether or not people are going to take advantage of the information, at least if it's available, and we know a little bit more about how this stuff works in the background, is a good thing for all of us. I agree. Speaking of availability, Sony's v- Sony rather's Vita handheld gaming system. I went right over there. I can't reach, or I'd pull it up and show you. Uh, we'll see physical production of games stop. Now, that's not the device the games themselves they will no longer make physical editions that and these came as a small little custom almost like sd cards but it was a sony sony design type cards they're not going to make those anymore but they will continue digital distribution 
from here on out. The American and European branch of the company told developers it plans to end Vita game card production by the end of 2018, at least 2018 fiscal, which closes on March 31st, 2019. Sony spokesman confirmed that production is ending in an email to Kotaku. Um, there's been a little bit of freak out from uh, the gaming press, which always happens. Uh, not much. So, so actually the Kotaku article is pretty level-headed, but what this is, but what we're seeing happening is what happens to every device and every console and every gaming platform. Eventually the Vita is now getting pretty old. Uh, it's not the spring chicken it used to be. And certainly isn't the, in any sort of leadership position when it comes to portable gaming, the idea that they would stop physical production of games is a significant, significant thing, but one would probably argue, and they haven't given us numbers to confirm or deny this, but one would argue that digital distribution has done nothing but grow, and that device has benefited from that as storage has gotten cheaper. So none of this is very surprising. This happens kind of across the board. As a comparison, uh, Nintendo refuses to let the 3DS platform die, despite the fact that the Switch is a big success and is rather portable itself. Uh, but yet they're still releasing new games. They just had new announcements of new games. We're expected to see things at E3 that are specific for the 3DS platform, and they have no plans to slow physical production, so you'll be able to buy those games in stores. But that's because on the Nintendo side, people are still buying them, the physical, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, if so, if you know, if people were buying a lot of physical, you know, Vita cartridges, they probably wouldn't, you know, stop production. They're doing it because it doesn't make sense for them anymore. That's exactly right. This is a sign that they are slowing sales of at least their games, if not their device, probably their device too. Like I would expect in the next couple of years, maybe even less for them to come out and say, oh, and also we're going to now stop production on the Vita all entirely. That's again, not that unusual for its lifespan. Uh, all consoles go through this. The Xbox 360 ceased production. The uh, uh, PlayStation is usually really goes as long as they can, but eventually they cease production on, on devices when new things come out. So it's not that shocking or weird, but it does speak to the, uh, the potential end date we may have for that, for that device. And I, while I had it and while it was good, I liked the Vita. It was cool. It had a nice place in my gaming library. Uh, if I'm honest, though, I haven't touched that thing in probably a year. So maybe time to move on to something else. Well, speaking of moving on, Whole Foods, which is now owned by Amazon, launched a loyalty program that offers special discounts to Amazon Prime customers, including 10% off some hundreds of sale items and rotating weekly specials. Those discounts are available now in Florida, at least at Whole Foods stores in Florida. Um, and then uh, Amazon says it'll roll out to all other stores starting this summer. Now, I shop at Whole Foods like three times a week, so hopefully something that I buy a lot will be 10% off now. Amazon previously announced free two-hour delivery from Whole Foods stores for Prime members. So they really want to push Prime. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you know, I mean, besides the fact that Prime just upped their annual fee, not that much, but, you know, by 20 bucks. Um, and the fact that, you know, I'm already in the Whole Foods ecosystem, maybe even more so than I am Amazon. Uh, that's great. I mean, if I can get discounts, that's great. Yeah. After they made this purchase, uh, the question wasn't whether they would integrate the Amazon systems, if, for lack of a better term, into how you would uh, interact with Whole Foods, the delivery stuff, how Prime would interact, discounts, all that sort of thing. Um, and eventually, maybe like their Washington store where you can walk in, get what you need and walk out and and just are sort of charged by the, by the Lord computer. Um, 
all of that stuff's coming. It was all a matter of when. So never once did I go, oh, this will be like Twitch where they buy it and then let Twitch operate and function and have better funding so they can grow. But really, it's still the, the Twitch plan. As a, uh, you know, Amazon can buy them. They can buy Audible. They can buy these others. And they can add new features because they're Amazon, but they're not really going to take it over. This feels like it was just a matter of time before we started hearing about how this is really the food brick and mortar version of what Amazon is in general. And this is a huge step toward that, uh, which yeah, I like. I was talking to somebody the other day about, I don't know, Amazon buying Whole Foods. And she said, don't you notice that they're just out of everything now because of Jeff Bezos? And I'm like, no, nah, I actually don't notice that. However, we did um, uh, report a story, or at least I did on uh, Daily Tech Headlines uh, over the last couple of weeks that Amazon is launching its uh, its own proprietary uh, dog food brands. They have a, their own diaper brand. That's all, you know, via Amazon.com. But I can see this replacing a lot of the whole sort of like Whole Foods 365 own brand in a lot of stores over time. Yeah. Like Costco, I talked to a Costco executive years ago for a company thing I was doing for a company I used to work for. And I was like, why do you have your own water? Branded water, <laughs> branded uh, chili, branded toilet paper, which I think is a conflict of interest, those two things. But anyway, <laughs> like, if you're branding your own toilet paper, I mean, you might be uh, creating a solution nobody asked for. But he told me, he says, that is the biggest profit center in this place. And I don't know if he was supposed to tell me that or if that's inside info, I'm not saying his name, but he said, that's where we make the most money. I'm not surprised Amazon. Well, because it's the most reoccurring purchase, right? You're going to run out and you're always going to need more and you're going to order it regularly. Yep. And they can get it cheap, slap their name on it and boom. And hopefully it'll be decent dog food is really what I'm getting to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, AT&T's over-the-top streaming service Direct TV now is rolling out its cloud DVR feature to iOS and tvOS. Uh, users after being in testing mode since last year. This has been a long time coming. People were really sick of waiting. Uh, lots of complaints from people that I know, but they must be happy today. The True Cloud DVR, as it's named, will offer users 20 hours of free recording, support for fast forward and rewind, and the ability to store shows for up to 30 days. I want to say that's on par with PlayStation View, but I don't have that stat in front of me. Yeah, I think you're right. Pretty close. Uh, beta testers had up to 100 hours of uh, recordings uh, so they could test the thing. AT&T says later this summer, users can pay an extra 10 bucks per month for uh, more if they want to do 100 hours of shows for up to 90 days. You extend that 60 days. Um, it's all it feels on par with everybody else's DVR offerings for their for their TV stuff, YouTube TV, everybody else. Uh, it just took him so long and I don't know why it took him so long. You know, I'm one of those weird people who never had a DVR. I've never had a DVR. Like I don't, you know, uh, like replay some cool basketball shot. Like I don't, I just don't do that. Um, and I don't know what I'm missing cause I never had one. And you know, you guys can fight me later. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. But, um, I don't have direct TV now, but I do have YouTube TV, which is similar. Um, at least in that sort of, you know, um, uh, set-top box offering. And I I don't know. I'm so used to the on-demand experience that I can't imagine the idea of having to save a show for 90 days on something locally. It's just like I, I skipped that whole thing. This is so me. Everything you're saying is me. I did never have, I never had a TiVo. Now, the only time I get a DVR is like, oh, this direct TV deal we got has a DVR. It's just built in. But I'd rarely use it. Maybe I'd skip commercials if I started something late, but usually I'd be caught up and I'd have to watch them anyway. Um, but I never saved anything really for later. I think I think you and I are not that uncommon. I think there are a lot of people, at least now, who are kind of in this 
Netflix when I want it, Hulu when I want it, you know, content when I want it kind of lifestyle. And the idea of saving one of these, that's weird. Like weird to me that I would even spend the time to even bother with it. So I'm 100% with you. I'm sure there are going to be listeners who write in and go, oh, no, no, how wrong you are. Uh, the latest TiVo is the best thing ever. And here's 50 reasons why. And I, I look forward to that feedback. But as for me, and it sounds like Sarah, it's just not our bag. Yeah, well, it's it's sort of like the DVR was this really cool thing that solved a problem with, you know, c- cable, right? Like the only options that you had at the time. We just have so many other options now. I know that people love organizing stuff their own way. And and Scott and I are certainly not telling you to stop doing that. But I would love to know, yeah, who is going to take advantage of this? And especially who wants to pay $10 more per month to have 100 hours uh, rather than 20? Yep. You know? Uh, you probably watch a lot of TV, and that means you and I have something in common. Sources tell Bloomberg that Microsoft is planning a line of lower-cost Surface tablets as soon as the second half of 2018. Seems to be a direct competitor to the, the, the iPad. The new tablets are said to feature 10-inch screens instead of the 12-inch screens used on the Surface Pro and will include USB-C for the first time. Intel reportedly will also supply the main processor and graphics chips. I'm uh, interested to see what these are like because um, the art side of what I do, I'm always using new tablets to see who's got the best new tech or whatever. Currently, the the reigning champion in terms of latency and quality, I still think is firmly with an iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil and certain apps help. But, um, you know, it's it's a close it's it's not too far for me to say that the the Surface Studio and the Surface Pros of years past have been pretty good. They're kind of right up there. Um, if they can. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 
provide something like that for artists, that's exciting. I don't know that the smaller size is going to get too many of us excited, but lower costs will. So this is this is all good potential. Um, I don't know who their main market is still for these tablets. I, if it's just existing iPad owners or people who are just on the fence about whether a tablet's worth it or not, maybe they don't care about artists. But uh, with the Surface Studio, it seems like they made a real push toward that. So from my perspective, this is great. Uh, more competition, lower cost. USB-C is good across the board for me. Like all good, Microsoft. I will absolutely take a look at your next set of tablets. Well, and after the success of the Surface Pro, you know, and then Apple came out with the iPad Pro, it's like, okay, there's a certain market for this that Microsoft understood um, and tapped into. So can they drop a price and the form factor? You know, I think it was $400 is is the, you know, the going rate, at least uh, according to this Bloomberg report, and tap into that more kind of casual consumer market, um, which iPad has just, you know, been dominated for uh dominating for so much time yeah and ipad sales are up which usually means tablet sales are up uh generally that's the barometer um like they do with notebooks they tend to be the barometer for notebooks these days i am all for more competition in that space and doing things with tablets that maybe apple is forgetting to do or not doing and pushing that competition i think that's great so 100 percent with with microsoft doing this i just i just hope it's not one of those products they throw out there and they change their mind six months later and pull it Sometimes I do that too. Very true. It's not a real thing yet. Just a report. Hey, folks, to get all the te- <laughs> get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes or less, subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. Scott and Roger and everyone, let's talk about cheating. Ooh. Cheating in school, specifically cheating on tests that will determine your future in secondary education and beyond. Uh, This is a really interesting story coming from the BBC. So this is a UK focused story, but this is about a ban on smartwatches imposed during certain tests anyway, GC. SE, which I learned today was General Certificate of Secondary Education. So it's kind of like an SAT equivalent Um, set of exams uh, taken in England and Wales and Northern Ireland and other British territories. And they're really important. Um, It's the sort of thing that they don't want you to cheat on because it uh, determines, you know, how smart you are and where you should go. Students are asked, uh, being asked to either keep their watches off their wrists on the desk or uh, keeping their watches off of their wrists because they might be hiding notes where the cheats would be, or you know, I don't know, you know, stuff that you're not supposed to do hidden under the watch uh, and beyond. Now, first of all, my first reaction was like, okay, well, watches have been around for a long time, so students have been doing this for a long time. If they've just now figured out that people are putting cheat notes under their watches, okay. But it sounds like there are uh, there's sort of a whole line of smartwatches that are designed to help you get information in a clandestine way. Um, and your teacher is not supposed to know. And, and it just looks like a regular watch. Well, if you have, okay. So I'm just thinking this out loud here as I'm thinking of it, but let's say I'm using, I have an Apple watch and it's a series three. And that means that even if my phone's not around, I'm still getting LTE. Uh, if I have the notes app open, and previous to this, I was on a desktop hurriedly putting a bunch of uh, cheat notes in my notes app. I could easily pop that up and just sort of angle it every once in a while. It would turn on. I'd see it. You have it at the default notes page. You see your little answer. You go back to your thing. Like, I get it. I think that they probably should have little safe uh, lock places or something for the students' watches when they come in the room and put them in there. If they're trying to stop cheating, 
I totally get it. But I had no idea people were putting things under their watch for however long that's been going on. That's insane to me. Like, what are you putting under there? And how are you sneakily like going, all right, let's push that out and then take a look. And then. Right. It's like, I mean, do you not have pockets? Why does it have to go into the watch? (laughs) That's really weird to me, but I don't know. In high school, we were the old fashioned way. We wrote, if you're going to do that, you're going to sharpie it on your palm. You know, when I was researching this, I was trying to think like, because we're all, you know, we're, we're in a generation beyond, you know, we're not in school anymore. So uh, that the ways that uh, kids cheat, you know, some of them are, are new to me. And I don't really remember it being that big of a deal. At the same time, kids didn't have smartphones. They didn't carry, you know, phones to school. We didn't have internet. You couldn't just like look up anything on Google and, and, and get an answer rather than knowing it in your head. So, um, Reminds me of a story that we covered on DTNS back in uh, December. Uh, France, uh, the country of France, and in all of its public schools, wanted to impose a total ban on mobile phones in schools. Um, this is was for primary students, not secondary students, so uh, kids younger than high school. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm uh, this is supposed to go into effect in, in September, um, and. That is really hard. Like, I just think like, okay, well, you hear about schools that have metal detectors, right? Because they're worried about, you know, kids bringing in knives or guns or, you know, all sorts of terrible things that happen in schools these days. But, you know, are we going to get to a point where kids have to be patted down to make sure that they don't have these devices that are either going to distract them or help them cheat and not learn things, which is also sort of probably a bigger discussion about I, well, you know, it's, what's it's, the future of schools in general i know in back when i when i finished high school graphing calculators just became a popular item and so at the time you could bring if you had calculus or, or trig or, or advanced algebra you could bring a calculator in your test because that's how you do all the answers because you have long problems to solve people find out with graphing calculators there's enough memory you can actually store crib notes in them and for, and for a while they're not a long while but for a short time some students were basically putting them in the calculator and were able to pull them back out and so you know there was a point where the teachers had to inspect all the calculators that were being used by the students in the class for uh, a, a test or an exam and what's you know fascinating is this doesn't just apply to exams cheating in education, especially higher education, because it ends up with the degree that could determine your job prospects when you graduate, uh, has become a thing. And I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago, but I knew people, kids could buy essays online and turn them in, right, for, for high school and stuff. But there was a woman in Australia who was literally making an entire business of it, selling them to overseas students, particularly from China. Because English for many of them would would have been a second language and difficult for the master, so why not just buy a test or or buy a, an essay instead of actually uh, writing it yourself if you have difficulty with the language? And the issue with that is that a lot of universities began to get very worried that their reputations would be diminished because now there were passing students or giving them a grade uh-huh. that they didn't earn, and places would say, "Well, you went to that particular university." A little suspect. We won't rate you as highly, and so it's kind of a chicken and egg thing where a school's reputation is it falls less school uh, students want to attend there, and less money uh, is being spent and tuition to keep that school afloat. And so it is kind of a long-standing kind of 
you know, the, the cheaters want to do this. And so schools have to do this. And I'm wondering if we just have to overhaul the way we do exams, the way we evaluate students from a time when everything was paper pencil to now where everything's digital. Yeah. Also maybe, you know, all the AI developments we're seeing in recent years. Uh, and now maybe there's some things to do with AI that would push us in new directions on how real-time testing occurs, how the questions are pro- uh, proposed. So the, nothing's sort of predetermined or written down someplace or something you could store or keep around or whatever. I kind of agree with that. I think that's a great way to to sort of approach this. Um, if we get to a place, you guys, where the long promised idea of having an over, or a sort of a heads up display built into small contact like eye devices or implants themselves, we're going to have to reevaluate a lot of how we do things in our lives. And we're getting there. Like we're getting to a place where there's enough cameras around all the time. There's enough stuff all the time that we have to think hard about this stuff. Imagine students with that in their head and being able to just sort of see in their field of vision the answers they need. We better figure out now how we want to start testing people instead of waiting until then. And when it's, you know, if it's still just a static list, then we're, then we're screwing up. There's also the, you know, there, there's the angle here that if you are in school and you're not supposed to look up something on the internet, you know, to, to cheat, it's because you're supposed to, you know, keep it in your brain, right? Well, we used to have to do that a lot more because we didn't have easy access to the information that we have now. If you're going to be in a job where you're not going to have internet access, then okay, I guess you have to do things the old way. But I think the whole sort of retention of information, that whole, uh, that's another conversation. If kids always have access to the right uh, information, as long as they know the difference between right and wrong, maybe you just need to know how to use the internet better rather than committing things to memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just think having robots who are smarter than us running tests (laughs) is a great idea. Like I know it sounds scary and weird, but think about how random it would be and they'd be able to mix things up and they'd be able to determine because of your last four answers, what you're going to do for the next one. So they're going to shake it up a little bit and really test you. And you can't go, Oh shoot, where's the notes in my watch? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's the future, but that's so far off that I'll be lucky if my grandkids have it. Well, your kids are in school still. So keep us posted, Scott. I will. (laughs) Hey, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddits. You help us pick our headlines every day. In fact, just this morning. Submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We also have a Facebook group at Facebook's Your Bag. That's cool. Facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Tech News Show. Got a couple emails here. Uh, one, uh, The first one comes from Chris, who says he is a production assistant, a DTNS production assistant, an American English speaker. He's talking about Patrick yesterday suggesting several times that Le Rendezvous Tech is a great way to practice French while also getting tech news. I agree. Uh, Chris says, do you have any recommendations for other languages? DTNS is good for practicing English, but I'm interested in Spanish. I also know Korean and Japanese are popular. Scott, do you do you do any foreign language stuff? Do you have any apps that you like? Or No, I mean, I grew up with... Like I said on the show a few times, I had two Korean sisters and a Korean brother. You'd think that may push me in the direction of learning Korean, but I never did. Just all the dirty words that my brother taught me. (laughs) Um, So I don't really know. Like I've always kind of been lacking in that department and I wish there were quicker, easier ways to do it. So I don't know. I share, I share his question. Where can this stuff be found? Well, Patrick asked me yesterday, how'd you learn French? And I was like, 
first of all, my French is real bad, so I would not call myself a native speaker or a, you know a fluent speaker at, um, at at all. But French podcasts have been a godsend to me, especially if I'm stuck in the car anyway. It's like who cares? You know, the only person who's going to notice me like practicing my French over and over is, you know, at the stoplight next to me. Um, It was a really good way for me, especially I used to commute to Twit, which was two hours a day um, in my car alone. And that really helped. So if anybody has um, other recommendations, we'd love to know. How about J-pop and K-pop with lyric sheets and reading along? That's how you'll learn the Korean and the Japanese. That's how you learn, um, uh, yeah, tales of love and love lost. <laughs> Got another email from, uh, let's see, did we get a name? Yes, Rod, Ross in Nottingham, England. Wow, he wants to share his thoughts on the whole Microsoft Surface Hub thing that you and uh, Patrick talked about yesterday. says, I've used various sizes of them at Microsoft HQ in, in uh, the UK. They have truly... Impressive devices, very valuable for meetings. The trouble Microsoft has is that people think they are just fancy toys for PowerPoint, but the infinite whiteboard and the ability to immediately send that out as an email or OneNote drawing would be worth it alone for some people. There's video conferencing and screen sharing, and it solves many of the problems faced by enterprises trying to collaborate remotely. There are lots of improvements that they can make, but this is the best product of its type that I've ever seen, much more so than things uh, like interactive whiteboards. If they could convince enough people to buy them, they could reduce their production costs and make them more widely available. But they can't do that until they achieve mass market adoption, which is why they won't, because they're too expensive to start with. And to be clear, I do not work for Microsoft, he said. (laughs) Good to know, Ross. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what the Surface Hub 2's price point is yet. Uh, the first one was nine thousand dollars. So yeah, I mean, it's that's that is cost prohibitive um, to a lot of smaller businesses anyway. But hey, you know, if Microsoft can bring the price down enough that it gets to be sort of a standard of of you know uh, collaborative meetings, especially because so many people work remotely now. Hey, yeah. And if you're, market. Twitter, let's say you're Twitter or some other company in San Francisco or something, you probably got one of these in every conference room. And that's, and, and 9,000 bucks is a reasonable thing to expect for companies like that. So sure. Start there. This is a corporate solution. It's a little bit like all their backend they do for, for corporate as it is anyway at Microsoft. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at this and go, oh man, if we could just get, get this in everyone's home, like we'll get there one day, something like this will happen one day, but for now it's fine the way it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, interactive whiteboards, and yeah, most people don't need that at home unless you have a home office or something. I mean, I'd love yeah, one. Serves a need. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right back here, four of them together. Uh, thank you to everybody who writes in um, every day and helps us uh, get smarter and learn a little bit more about ourselves and you and technology. And also, thanks to Scott Johnson. It's Wednesday. You're with us every Wednesday. Thanks for being here and holding down the fort in Tom's absence. Um, I always like doing the show with you, Scott. Tell folks what is up with you these days. Well, thank you very much. The feeling is mutual. I uh, have a lot going on today. The Kickstarter for the playing cards ends at frogpants.com slash cards. Uh, that ends today. Frogpants Studios uh, got a brand new website. So if you want to go check out what Ooh. that looks like, go to frogpants.com. Part of it was because I was forced to make a bunch of changes and moves because of a hacking incident. And part of it was I needed to do this anyway. So uh, I'm pretty excited about it. If you want to go check out all the artwork, all the podcasts, all the other stuff that is available to those who would uh, uh, dare go there, check it out at frogpants.com. And if you're listening to this live and you're thinking, oh man, I really wanted in on that Kickstarter, I better go over there right now. You still have like a half an hour before it ends. So you can head on over there to frogpants.com slash cards and it's still waiting for you there. And thanks for having me on. It's always fun. 
Of course. And thanks to everybody who supports the show. Without you, we would not be here right now. Special thanks to our patrons, patreon.com slash DTNS. And there's a lot more information on dailytechnewsshow.com slash support on how you can support the show. And please check out our new baseball caps as well as our other apparel at dailytechnewsshow.com slash store. Quick reminder, Tom is in Australia. He had a really fun meetup in Sydney already, but he is hosting another meetup in Melbourne Tuesday, May 22nd, next week, 6 p.m. That's local Melbourne time at a place called Bartronica. Uh, If you can make it, I know he'd love to see you, and you can tell him how much you love the rest of us as well. Our email address is zachardailytechnation.com. We are live this show is part of the frog pants network frog pants network get more shows like this at frogpants.com diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs> even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.